What is going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders. I am very grateful to have your attention, at least for the next 15 minutes of this episode. Forward Thinking Founders is a podcast where I interview pre-seed and seed stage founders about their products, what they want to build into the world, and why. We dive into how they spend their time, what's their vision, what's the origin of stories, all these things, so you can learn all about what's coming tomorrow. Because these companies haven't hit critical scale yet. Most of them haven't hit product market fit. These are just early stage companies. And the big question is, what can this be? And in this podcast, we bring that out. So with that, I really hope you enjoy your time listening to today's episode. And I've already done 200 plus. So if you like this one, listen to some of the other ones like with Imadi Kuhn, Austin Allred, Leah Culver. We have great interviews. So check it out. Enjoy the repository. And for now, let's get into today's episode. Here we go. All right, how's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Forward Thinking Founders, where we talk to founders about their companies, their visions for the future, and how the two collide. Today, I'm very excited to be talking to Deep Prasad, who is the founder of Reactive Q. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Hey, Matt. Uh, it's great. Uh, I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, excited to have you on. And for people you know that haven't uh, heard of Reactive Q before, you know, what are you working on? We're working on using quantum computers and quantum computing simulators to accelerate the materials discovery process. Right now, materials uh, is a very cost-intensive, time-intensive process to find the next generation of batteries, solar cells, plastics, you name it, semiconductors. It all takes a lot of time. So we're looking to accelerate that exponentially. Okay, so um, this is awesome. There's a lot of things to unpack here. I think the first, um, the first question is you're, it sounds like you're using, you know, obviously this new technology, quantum, like qu- qu- quantum computing to, to, to solve a problem differently. For, to start kind of high level, can you kind of explain like maybe high level, like what, what is quant- quantum computing? Is it like, a, is it a software? Is it an algorithm? Just like high level for people to give people a base of kind of what that is. Yeah, sure. So uh, in the early 1900s, before, let's say, 1935, we had uh, really figured out what's called classical physics or Newtonian physics. That's the physics that you and I are used to in, in the normal world where you drop a ball and it'll bounce up normally. You know, you push and pull. All of these things are, are physics of the classical world. Then we found out in the early 1900s that there's actually an entirely new set of physics rules that the atomic world follows called quantum physics. Um, and so these physics rules are often very contradictory and unintuitive, counterintuitive to what we're used to in the day-to-day life. And so all of the computers we've ever built before quantum computing came along are based on this normal physics that we were used to in our day-to-day lives. And what quantum computers do is they leverage the physics of, and they're based on the physics of the microscopic world, of the atomic world of quantum physics. So... Walk me through now. Okay, cool. That, that makes sense. I love the way that you describe it is like, it, it, you know, when you hear this word, you're, you think, oh my gosh, what could I mean? But you, you know, it's like, it's simple. It's just, you know, it, it's yep. just, you know, math and, and, and equations and, you know, just like everything is in the world. Right. So I appreciate you sharing that. So now let's kind of go to why did you decide to work on this problem? Or I guess in other words, what is the origin of the story here? Um, and, and what's your why for reactive Q? Yeah, I love that question. So 
First of all, uh, I want to give uh, take a step back to sort of the big picture that I've always dreamed of realizing, which is to develop technology that's indistinguishable from nature. Um, so imagine having trees that can actually distribute Wi-Fi and cell signals or being able to grow houses from the ground. And they're so technological at the same time, but sustainable and as if they're a life form. Of, of itself. So that's sort of the dream or the end goal um, that I'd like to reach. And in my research during my engineering undergrad, and, and even before that, I was at least passively aware of quantum mechanics. And then I started diving deeper into the work of Richard Feynman. So Richard Feynman is the father of quantum computing. He invented the field. And uh, he pointed out that in order to simulate nature for what it truly is, you need a quantum computer. And what that would allow you to do then is simulate materials in your simulation rather than having to build them in real life. So the why is this vision of making technology that's like nature and the how is through Richard Feynman's dream and realizing it. So let's say you, you know, let's say you're, you're successful with this and which you will be. Um, what is that? Can you like walk me through what is I guess the UX of this working like 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 you you build this technology what is successful use of it look like if that makes sense makes perfect sense so success for us would be to be able to generate high value materials in house um, that we think the world needs so let's say materials for nuclear waste management for antimatter propulsion systems. Uh, for better propulsion systems in general, you know, better semiconductors and room temperature superconductors. These are the things we would like to discover in-house. And then, of course, we would also like to discover materials on demand for other clients, like let's say the SpaceX's and Tesla's of the world. And then as you have worked on this, you're obviously, at least from, from my view, you may disagree because you're in this industry every single day, but from, from what my vantage point, you're kind of like a pioneer here. You're kind of like building something like fairly new, like very new with, with very new type of technology. You have to be learning stuff along the way, learning new things. Um, what's it, I guess two questions, kind of the same, but like, what's it like to be a kind of a pioneer of, a, of an industry or technology? And what are you learning along the way? Yeah, so uh, to answer your first question, what it's like is, of course, um, extremely exciting. Uh, I love doing things that are truly new. Uh, I don't like relearning things that have, are already known, um, but it's also uh, sometimes uh, nerve wracking, right? So um, oftentimes, you know, we don't want to just at Reactive Q be a bunch of scientists publishing papers. We want to develop a real product for real people. And so a lot of this looks like being able to catch up with the cutting edge of literature, being able to understand all the theory and picking apart what is practical and what we can do today and what is something that we need to be focusing on in the future. So it's really a mix of heavy engineering crossed with uh, just state-of-the-art research. Um, and now in terms of what does, let's say, the everyday look like? Uh, and so I split my time. Um, I would say, so around early morning, you know, I'll listen to like a TED podcast like yours or a business podcast. And uh, I'll, while, just while making breakfast, you know, just to learn something as, you know, passively learn something. And then um, I normally spend from nine to five on just mostly business calls with some technology development, but it's mostly business related. Then after 5 p.m., I have a hard cutoff. And all I'm doing is just working through the physics and writing code that runs on these quantum computers. 
And then one more question on the technology side. This is definitely a noob question. I don't even know if I know how to ask it correctly, but you know, I, there was a point in my life where I learned like JavaScript and I learned the main stack. So I, I could build like web apps. What, what, what type of like, you just said you code it. What's like the language of, of quantum computing? Like, you know what, like, what, is there a stack for what you're doing? Are you building the stack yourself? What, what's the category? Yeah, so there's uh, absolutely a stack there. Uh, let's take a step back a second and look at the different quantum computers that are out there and the quantum computing simulators. Um, you, have, you have photonics, so that's using uh, light to compute and perform quantum computations with light, which is pretty cool, right? Uh, then there's superconducting quantum computers. That is the most common kind of quantum computer out there where you have these wires and they conduct electricity no resistance. And this is due to quantum physics. It's actually uh, because of that. And so what you'll have are these machines where the full stack, the very highest level of the stack, the actual software we're writing, that is actually in Python. You know, most of these uh, stacks support Python, but then it gets broken down. So whatever you're writing in Python will get broken down into quantum bytecode, uh, so to speak. Just like, let's say Java, right? You mentioned you program in Java. When you write, you know, let's say a, you define a bunch of objects in Java, you write your Java program and you press compile, your computer is taking this high-level programming language known as Java and is breaking it down eventually to assembly language. And then assembly language is a representation of bytecode. And that tells your computer how to flip the transistors, the switches on and off. Similarly, with uh, the stacks that we're working with, let's say TensorFlow Quantum uh, is the one we use the most. Uh, TensorFlow Quantum will take our programming language, the quantum gates we define, the logic we've defined, and it will break it down into quantum byte code, which means that it's telling its qubits, its underlying quantum transistors, if you'd like to call them that, how to get flipped and, and to what extent. Yeah, this is, I, I feel like anyone can listen to this, this podcast and just like learn a, a whole new, like it, it, in 10 minutes and 15 minutes, learn, a, you know, not a whole new discipline or industry, but like get introduced to, you know, something really new, which is great. Um, you know, I appreciate you breaking this all down. Now let's kind of take all of this, zoom out, you know, zoom out a bit and look forward in, in five years, 10 years, 15 years, what does reactive Q look like? And, and what's the big vision? What, what direction are you rowing in every day? So in, uh, yeah, sure. So I'll break that down to the 5, 10, 15, and 20 years or 5, 10, and 20. Uh, so uh, in the next five years, we want to have developed our first materials, discovered truly new materials that the world has never seen before using our simulation software. And then we'll either license those materials or we'll sell them, you know, depending on what makes the most sense for the business. And these materials were ideally targeting our uh, high temperature superconductors, next generation transistors, and next generation solar cells and battery uh, materials to begin with. So just having a cluster or portfolio of these new materials. Then moving farther out to 10 years, this is where um, we're going to get very, let's say, ambitious or a little bit more out there in the kinds of materials we want to discover. Because you, you see, once we've proven that we can actually discover new materials, over the next five years, we'll be able to aim for a lot materials that people think can't exist right now. And I'll tell you exactly what I mean. Um, everything that we've ever built in, on planet Earth in the past 2000 years, tens of thousands, whatever you'd like to set your timeline as, 
we are all affected by gravity. You can't, you can only escape gravity by going through the escape velocity, right? And launching rockets. But it's not like you can just detach yourself from Earth's gravitational field just by sitting here. Now, there, in theory, you know, we could create materials. This is just a hypothesis for now that have an immersion property where once that material is developed, its immersion property is such that it detaches from Earth's gravitational field, allowing for essentially anti-gravity or anti-gravitic capability. That is something that we would love to be sort of discovering in the next 10 years. And then moving forward between years 10 to 20, we want to start mixing um, our capability of modeling hard materials with biochemical and cellular materials so that we can start creating this underlying technology that's a mix of life and uh, you know technology. And in order to make all those versions of the world of the future happen, you'll need some help, right? You know, it takes a village to make a startup work. So my question for you is how can the forward thinking founders, listeners help? Are you, are you hiring? Are you looking for investors? Are you looking for partnerships? Anyone to partner with, you know, you know, how, how can we help? Um, yeah. So we're looking for uh, definitely some investors right now where we just started our fundraising round for our pre-seed round. And uh, we're also looking of course to, this is more of a, um, the technologies we're using, quantum computing, it will benefit a lot of founders as is, people who are working in, let's say, the astrophysics or the rocket, uh, you know, the space companies really of the world, uh, and anybody who's in electronics. So something that I think other founders can be doing to help both themselves and, of course, us too, um, is really just looking at how quantum computing fits into their future timeline and accounting for the capabilities, really learning what that is and what it means. And of course, also thinking about how do we solve the problem of making some of these materials? So even if we simulate these materials in our simulator, we're going to have to partner with really advanced manufacturing companies to actually make those materials. And so there's going to be a lot of innovation required uh, in making new materials themselves. That's why I have so much hope, for example, for companies like Varda, uh, who, right, like they're manufacturing materials in space that actually could open up a huge, uh, yeah, wide range of materials that, you know, just wouldn't exist. And so, yeah, we just need more founders like that and founders working towards it. And let's say there's a founder, you know, in that many founders in that category, you know, listening to this podcast and they, they want to reach out to you or someone just wants to reach out to you for whatever reason, how can they learn more about what you're doing? What's your website? Are you on social? Do you have an email? How can people get in touch? So my website is uh, reactiveq.io. That's R-E-A-C-T-I-V-E-Q.io. My email is deep at reactiveq.io. And then, uh, but the place that I'm most active on just to easily reach out to me, if it's not via email, is just uh, via Twitter. So, you know, my DMs are open. My uh, username is Deep Neuron. So that's D-E-E-P-N-E-U-R-O-N. And just to do the, the casual Twitter plug every like 75 episodes, if you're, if you're still listening to this episode and you're not on Twitter yet, you are missing out on the center of, of tech, I swear. So just get on Twitter DM Deep, DM me, and, uh, and and we'll say what's up. Deep, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. You're working on incredible, incredible things, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it progresses. Thanks for coming on. Thank you, man. It was a pleasure.